Hi, Professor Brandy Stanley here, and today I'm going to be recording a PowerPoint and podcast simultaneously, and today's topic is going to be personality disorders. Unlike mental illnesses that have their root in, you know, the biochemical, neurological, and there may be some of that with personality disorders, and there's certainly a genetic and a nature versus nurture sort of factor there, personality disorders are a little bit different, and they don't respond in the same way to medications as other disorders do. They can co-occur, of course, with mental disorders as well, but let's talk about what personality is to get started. Personality refers to an individual's differences in characteristic patterns of thinking, feeling, and behaving. It can be protective in times of difficulty and can result in problems with a relationship, or it can lead to a frequent emotional distress. In personality disorders, emotional dysregulation can occur where individuals have a difficult time managing their painful emotions in ways that are healthy and effective. There may be wide and frequent mood swings in certain personality types that may be a part of their difficulty with emotional regulation, and they seem to lack the ability at times to control the flux and expression of emotions. Personality is, again, a set of distinct traits, behaviors, and patterns that make up their character and how they perceive the world along with their attitudes, thoughts, and feelings. So in a personality disorder, a person may feel out of control and can feel suspicious and mistrustful, powerless, unhappy, and a persistent thing or persistent disorder of maladaptive thinking, coping, and relating to others can occur. So we're gonna talk about some of the most more common of these personality disorders that can occur today and the diagnostic criteria for them. If you'll look on page 393 of your book, it says an enduring pattern of inner experience and behavior that deviates markedly from the expectation of the individual's culture. So once again, these can be determined by culture partially, but if you're deviating from your cultural norm, this pattern can be manifested in two or more of the following areas. Cognition, which is how you perceive, interpret self or others and people and events. Affectivity, which is the range, intensity, liability, or remember ups and downs of mood, and appropriateness of emotional responses. Interpersonal functioning and impulse control can all be aspects of of diagnostic criteria for personality disorders. B is the enduring pattern is inflexible and pervasive across a broad range of personal and social situations. So it's not a limited sort of thing, but it affects every area of their life. C is the enduring pattern leads to clinically significant distress or impairment in social occupation or other important areas of functioning. D is the pattern is stable and of long duration. So it's not something that somebody, you know, short term exhibits, but something that somebody exhibits long term. And its onset can be traced back to at least adolescence or early adulthood. A lot of teenagers will exhibit characteristics of personality disorder, but many times they'll outgrow it. But in this case, this is not one that's outgrown, but this pervasive and persistent into adulthood. E, the enduring pattern is not better explained as a manifestation or consequence of another mental disorder. There will be some disorders that will be quite similar, as you'll see as we go through the presentation. And F is the enduring pattern is not attributable to the physiological effects of a substance, because here again, once again, those substances can mimic some of these personality disorders. So we're going to go ahead and continue on. And we're going to look at the different types of personality disorders. And they're divided into different clusters. So the first one is going to be cluster A. And cluster A, I want you to think of this word. When you think about cluster A, think about odd. 
There's another name for cluster A, which would be odd-centric. And that's what they are. They're odd. So let's go on. <coughs> Excuse me. These type of personality disorders are marked by atypical behaviors such as an unjustifiable suspicion of others that greatly impairs your social functioning. The first one of these is the paranoid type. You know, you think about what paranoid means and you kind of have a pretty good idea of what paranoid personality disorder would cause. Paranoid means that they are distrustful and suspicious of others. They may be very hypervigilant <clears throat> and they're going to anticipate hostility from others, which may provoke hostile response from them by initiating a counterattack before that attack can occur from someone else. Two to four percent of people have this type of personality disorder and it is greater in men. Now let me let you know that when if you have a question somewhere on boards it says you know which personality disorders are going to present an increased risk of hostility this would be one of them because they may initiate a counterattack thinking that someone's going to harm them. This type of personality disorder often begins in childhood, and parents may notice a lack of friends, odd behavior, teasing and bullying, and social anxiety. As it continues into adulthood, we may have a lot of problems with relationships due to jealousy, controlling behaviors, and an unwillingness to forgive, and a projection of their own emotions onto other people. As nurses, this is hard for me sometimes because I tend to want to be friendly with everyone, we have to be careful not to be overly friendly and kind, but have a neutral affect. We have to make sure that we're consistent in keeping promises or appointments and set appropriate limits. It may be difficult to in interview people with paranoia due to paranoia about giving information. And psychotherapy is best treated on an individual basis, is the best treatment and it's on an individual basis, but it may be threatening in their manner. Group therapy is good, but may be threatening to the patient. So they may be threatening in their manner when they're in psychotherapy toward the psychiatrist or whoever's doing it. But if they do group therapy, it might threaten them. When you decide to treat these people with medication, you may give benzos for anxiety. You may give Vistaril. You may give Haldol in small doses to manage the delusional thought content. Because remember, they are paranoid, so they definitely have some delusional thought content or it may be used to manage their agitation. Okay, moving on. Cholesterol A schizoid. Let me take a sip of water real quick. Hmm. The schizoid type personality disorder is characterized by a very blunted affect, social isolation, and social awkwardness. About three and four, three and four percent is what it says in the book. Three point one and four point nine is what is estimated that are the number of people that sell that um, suffer from this illness, and it is more often diagnosed in men, and they may experience greater impairment. It is characterized by social withdrawal. I have had one patient I can tell you with schizoid personality, and when I was thinking through these type A personality or cluster A personality disorders i was thinking back to the office if you are not the office office space if anybody ever saw that movie the guy with the stapler is probably one of these cluster a personality types probably either this one or the next one we're going to talk about anyway but it's characterized by social withdrawal and an expressionless or limited range of emotional responses they are typically loners they do not do well in school at all and they're often ridiculed and have odd eccentric behavior as such, they may have felt a great degree of emotional detachment, and they do not seek out or enjoy any close relationships, usually hardly at all. Friendships and sexual experiences and dating are very rare, and if trust is established, they may have imaginary friends and fantasies that are numerous. 
They may have difficulty with our job if requiring interpersonal interaction and tend to do better in a very solitary type of occupation. They feel often as if they are an observer rather than a participant in life and may feel very detached from self and from the world. Well, here again, we don't need to be too nice or too friendly to these people because they're going to be paranoid and suspicious then. We're not going to try to make them socialize. We are going to protect them from ridicule from group members, and we may they may be open to discussing anxiety or coping if we treat them the way that we need to and earn their trust. Treatment is psychotherapy due to their introspective nature, and it can be very infect- effective because of that. Group therapy may also help, but they're probably going to be silent in group settings. Antidepressants may be used as medication to help them to increase their pleasure in life, and antipsychotics may help to improve their emotional expression. All right, so let's go ahead and go on to the next one. Cluster A schizotypal. These people don't blend in well with the crowd at all, and this is often, um, you know, can be like a precursor to schizophrenia. They have strange, unusual, odd beliefs, strange speech patterns, and inappropriate affect. They often will have first-degree relatives with schizophrenia, and they're more at risk for it. They have severe, severe social and interpersonal deficits, and especially extreme anxiety. Conversations with schizotypal personality disorder individuals tend to ramble with lengthy, overly detailed and abstract content. And they tend to be very paranoid and suspicious and anxious and misinterpret the motives of motivation of others as out to get them. They are more um, likely to be a part of like a cult and they often have magical thinking or odd beliefs. And like I said, it is similar to schizophrenia, but these people can actually be made aware of their odd beliefs and recognize them as odd. Treatment may involve psychotherapy, but we do know that they may be involved in cults, so we need to watch that. And low-dose antipsychotics can help with this type of personality. Again, we need to respect their need for isolation and be aware of their suspiciousness. We need to do careful assessment, especially if there are suicidal thoughts, and be aware that strange beliefs or religious practice may be a part of that person's life. So you think back through history and some of those strange religious like types of um, places like you know, probably not one of the cults where there's a lot of living going on, but other types of weird beliefs, they might have those. Okay, moving right on. The next grouping or cluster of personality disorders is called cluster B. So you're thinking cluster A is odd eccentric. Cluster B is going to be dramatic and emotional. They have impulsivity and a lack of regard for others and exaggerated or extreme emotions or behaviors. I will let you know, although I didn't make a slide on it, I think I may have later. Let me just go ahead and check and see. Hold on. Um, no, there it is. Okay, I do have it, so I won't go over it yet. Okay, so the very first one of these that we'll go over is histrionic personality disorder, and it can be very similar to borderline personality disorder by the types of behaviors, but it is a little bit different. People who are histrionic personality disorder are very dramatic and excitable and often very high-functioning individuals. And this may be your friend in high school who was the big drama queen, who was flamboyant and colorful and extroverted, but had, you know, kind of gotten to the drama all the time and flirtatious, impulsive, provocative. And they have a limited ability to form meaningful relationships but yet they won't have any insight into their role in breaking up their relationship. It'll be all the other person's fault, and they won't think that they need treatment. They have emotional attention-seeking behaviors, 
and they can be very self-centered, have a low frustration tolerance and excessive emotionality. The partner who's in a relationship with them may feel smothered. So nursing needs to recognize their seductive behavior and it may be a response to stress and realize that. We need to keep our communication professional at all times and realize that they may exaggerate their symptoms. We have to help them in this case to, to clarify their own feelings and teach them and model for them assertiveness and assess for suicidal thoughts and realize that what may be a suicidal gesture in order to get attention could still result in death. Psychotherapy to help them promote clarification of their feelings may help because they may be very out of touch with their feelings. And emotional expression and group therapy may also help, but their distracting symptoms may disrupt. So they're very dramatic, so they may distract the group. Antidepressants and anti-anxiety agents can also help. So let me let you know, you know, these are very dramatic people. I guarantee you, if you think back to your young childhood life, you'll think of somebody who was very much like this and recognize the personality disorder. <clears throat> okay, next we have borderline personality disorder. This is the least favorite usually of psychiatric nurses everywhere. They can be very difficult to deal with in the unit. A few things that may go on is they may be emotionally labile, which means that their, you know, mood and affect is just like going like, you know, happy, sad, happy, sad, happy, sad, happy, sad, up and down, up and down, up and down. It's like a roller coaster. Splitting is something that can occur as well with these individuals. And we will go through what that is in a minute. These people tend to view things in either all or nothing. They're either all good or all bad. You're in, you know what, that can change from day to day. Today you may be their favorite nurse that they've ever had. Tomorrow you may not be their favorite nurse at all and they may hate you. They, are in, they have an intense and unstable relationships. Friend today, enemy tomorrow. Think about that. I bet you've known a few borderlines too. They do make a lot of effort to avoid real or imagined abandonment, such as rapidly initiating intimate relationships, either physically or emotionally. They may bond to you very quickly and they may be very amiable, but then they cut off communication with someone in anticipation of being abandoned. There's a book out that talks about borderline personality disorder, and I think the title describes it because it says, I hate you, don't leave me. They have a pattern of very intense and unstable relationships with family, friends, and loved ones, often swinging from extreme closeness and love, also known as idealization, to extreme dislike or anger, devaluation. So remember those terms. Idealization is this extreme closeness and love, and the devaluation is this extreme dislike or anger. A lot of teenagers, by the way, do tend to be a little bit borderline, but they usually outgrow it. They often have a distorted and unstable self-image or sense of self, and they have a lot of impulsivity and dangerous behaviors like spending sprees, unsafe sex, substance abuse, reckless driving, binge eating. And if these behaviors occur during a time of elevated mood or energy, they could be bipolar. Um, Self-harming behavior goes along with borderline personality, so they are at very high risk for suicide because remember, even though it may be intention getting at the time, it could still eventually result in them having a real suicide attempt, a real, real completed suicide. They have recurring thoughts of suicide or they have threats of suicide. Um, I already talked about the emotional liability, chronic feeling of emptiness, inappropriate intense anger or problems controlling their anger, and they can be at a very increased risk for violence on the unit. So remember that, test question there. They can be at a risk for violence on the unit or violence. They have difficulty trusting 
and sometimes accompanied by an irrational fear of other people's intentions. With them, they have a feeling of dissociation that is typically occurring, which is a feeling of being cut off from themselves, seeing themselves from outside their body, or feelings of unreality. And they can be treated with SSRIs, um, maybe antipsychotics, anticonvulsants, and lithium. And DBT is suggested and is approached to using skills to teach how to manage emotional emotions, tolerate distress, and improve relationships. Now, there's some really good stuff on borderline personality and the different domains on page 399 of your book on the impact on the uh, functioning that they have and on nursing considerations. There's also a really good description of what dialectical behavior therapy is and CBT therapy, which is a unique blend of psychotherapy and skills training that has been shown to be especially effective for patients with borderline personality. Instead of the change focus of CBT, DBT stresses a balance of acceptance and change that is derived from mindfulness and judgment avoidance of Zen meditation. So anyway, take a look at that and you'll understand it a little more. Um, the dialectical behavioral therapy is supposed to be very much the go-to for borderline personality disorder. And let's see, I wanted to go back and cover splitting. Splitting is a behavior in which the individual divides and plays one person against another. For example, a patient may ask a staff member during one shift if she can have a stack and be told no. The patient may then go to another staff member and ask the same question. So anyway, you can see how that can happen. There's also projection that occurs where they transfer blame to other people to avoid the feelings that would be experienced by blaming oneself. So that's a common thing. And I already talked about self-injurious behaviors. Okay. Let's go on a little bit more about them. I think I've got another description of splitting on here too, where they can, splitting, you know, there's a couple of different definitions here. The splitting is what they're talking about there is staff splitting, but there's also splitting that can occur where they view both positive and negative aspects of others as they have trouble viewing the positive and negative aspects of others as part of a whole. So what happens is if you can't see a person like you with both positive and negative traits, that's what causes the all good or all bad. So if they're seeing a positive trait, like let's say that you, you know, you you talked to them for a long time, you gave them attention, you're perfect, you're wonderful, you're great. Then when let's say that same day you set an appropriate limit for them, you all of a sudden will vacillate into you're evil, you're awful, you're horrible. So they, they either see one or the other and they can't integrate these two traits of the same person. They often have feelings of antagonism, which is why the hostility, anger, and irritability occurs. And why the domestic violence may occur, and we're talking about them being domestically violent to others, or sometimes the other way around, because they can be uh, difficult to deal with, and people might be more violent toward them, and they do have these unstable relationships. They often have exposure to psychological, sexual, or physical trauma, and it is more common in first-degree biological relatives. Um, There is an evidence of serotonin, serotonergic dysfunction, which may contribute to depression and aggression, and it may have occurred through inadequate parenting during stages in the toddler separation individuation phase. I say see a page for description. Don't see that page. It's out of another textbook. Okay, let me go on. Another cluster B. You may be familiar with this one. This one is, these are the people that, you know, a lot of people tend to be attracted to because they are the ones that look good and smell good until you get to know them. Mm. Narcissist. Okay. Let me just go on with this. I was trying to find this and, you know, coordinate it with the one in the book, but I'm not seeing it. Here it is. Prevalence rates vary. It may be from 0 to 6.2% of the general population. 
usually more uh, diagnosed in men. Can The first type, of, there are two different subtypes. The first one is closeted, in which the patient exhibits self-absorption, passive aggressiveness, and hypersensitivity to criticism. This type can be superficially nice in function and social situations. The second type is malignant, which can be characterized by a firm belief and an innate superiority to others. These individuals are driven by the need for power, wealth, and attention, and they have a morbid preoccupation with themselves and an extreme lack of empathy. Lack of empathy, yes. Risk factors include neglect, emotional abuse, um, unreliable manipulative parenting, humiliation and hypercriticism of the self associated with the disorder often are accompanied by social withdrawal and depressed mood. So let's go through some of these. These people are grandiose and self-important. They may be the guy that drives a really nice sports car and has the, you know, $2,000 suit. They are preoccupied with fantasies of unlimited success, power, brilliance, beauty, or ideal love. They need to be excessively admired. They believe that they are entitled to special treatment. They have a lack of empathy for others and an envy of others or believe that they are the object of envy. They are arrogant, haughty, and they have uh, behaviors like that. And they're extremely sensitive to criticism. They may not take criticism at all. And they may react with disdain or anger. They're often very high achieving people. Treatment can be difficult because you've got somebody that already has this idea that they're all that in a bag of chips and they have a great deal of grandiosity and defensiveness and have a really hard time acknowledging vulnerability. You'll see a lot of stuff going around on Facebook about how to deal with a narcissist. This is not somebody that you want to be married to. Um, you need to, if you are dating somebody like that, I'd recommend that you really take a good close look at it and run. One of my good friends, she, uh, one of the counselors up at work, she was married to a narcissist and you know that she had to end the marriage years ago because it was just too personally draining for her but this person because of being left by her has made it his personal uh goal to achieve some sort of you know retribution for how she hurt him and so he's done everything he can to hurt her through her child and has destroyed their son in the process so all I'm saying is, she said, you know, it's almost like the Terminator. You know, that hand that's severed from the Terminator and the hand just keeps coming and coming and coming. That's almost how it is with being married to somebody who's narcissistic once you leave them because their personality cannot handle it. Okay. Moving on. Antisocial. Here it is. Okay. Antisocial. Remember, we talked about how many times when people are have the childhood um what's the name of it not oppositional defiant but the uh oh can't think today you know what i'm talking about we'll go back through it in class antisocial personality disorder people are the ones that are going to wind up in prison many 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 times and they have a disregard for the rights of others conduct disorder there it is i knew i'd come up with it they basically may be stone cold to the rights of others two descriptions of them that you may see are sociopathic and psychopathic. Sociopathic means that they have a severe impairment of conscience. They don't really feel empathy for others. Psychopathy means they have a complete lack of conscience regarding others. So these are the people that can wind up being serial killers, honestly, because they're pretty bad off and they have no empathy toward anyone else. It is characterized by others feeling manipulated, exploited, and deceived, as well as sensing that the individual is disloyal and lacks remorse for violation of rules and law. It is found in 3 to 4% of the population and 80% of crime in the American culture. It is found more often in men than women. There's a 4 to 1 gender difference in diagnosis. 
And the greatest percentage are men with alcohol use disorder and among those who are incarcerated in substance use treatment facilities. They may be quite charming, but they're irritable, aggressive, irresponsible, and they often wind up in prison on drugs and alcohol, and they are very manipulative. Often you can't tell when they are lying or when they are truthful because they probably don't even know. They just are so used to lying. Symptoms include violating the physical and emotional rights of others, a lack of remorse, a lack of stability in the job or home life, reckless and impulsive, irresponsible, deceitful behavior, and they may have conduct disorder in childhood. There it is again, conduct disorder. (laughs) They're difficult to treat, and they often only get treated when it is court-mandated, and there is not a lot of treatment out there for them. One of my doctors says that sometimes when you see people who go into the military and really have a desire to go out and, you know, shoot a bunch of people because they will sometimes get into military service because the military provides them an outlet that is socially acceptable. Um, Obviously, that's probably not somebody that you would want in your platoon. But so that's antisocial personality disorder. Cluster B. Let's go on to the next one. Oh, I have some more on antisocial. Genetic link, possible alteration in serotonin transmission associated with the aggression impulsivity. Inconsistent parenting and discipline may be associated. Um, Abuse and neglect are associated. There is almost always a link, I already told you, between conduct and impulse control in childhood. Staff should focus on safety, set realistic limits on behavior, and show consistency in responses and consequences for action. Because that's the only thing they're going to understand because they are very manipulative. Therapeutic communication can go a long way toward helping diffuse the aggression. So if we can listen without correcting errors and simply noting that the patient truly feels hurt, like when they complain about the staff, and show empathy, this may help to decrease the aggressive outbursts. We will use medications like mood stabilizers, like lithium and valproic acid. um, SSRIs uh, may help with irritability and help with anxiety and depression. And that's really kind of what we are. And here again, don't see the book because this is an old PowerPoint I need to update. Okay, cluster C. Let me go on in the book here. Excuse me. This is the dramatic, fearful personality disorder types. They engage in pervasive patterns of behavior aimed at trying to reduce a fear of rejection or abandonment, for example, or maintain control of their environment. Avoidant is the first of these, and they are very sensitive to rejection. They feel inadequate, socially inhibited. Low self-esteem is often seen with these patients, and when they're functioning in social situations, they're going to be, you know, very low self-esteem. They have a reluctance to engage in unfamiliar activities with new people, and they're sensitive to and preoccupied with rejection, humiliation, and their failures, and will avoid new interpersonal relationships or activities due to fears or criticism or disapproval. Nurses should be friendly, accepting, reassuring, and convey an attitude of acceptance toward their fears. And assertiveness training can help them to learn to express those fears. Again, these people are going to suffer from anxiety, and we're going to be using those beta blockers and antidepressants and all of that to help them. Excuse me. The next one, of dependent. Okay. Did I skip one there? No, I did not. Okay. Dependent. They lack the confidence to take care of themselves or make even small decisions. They fear being alone, which may produce intense anxiety when left alone for even brief periods. They're submissive to others. They have trouble disagreeing with others. They will tolerate unhealthy relationships and even abuse 
because if someone's taking care of them, they feel like they need to. They feel overly upset when relationships end and are desperate to start a new relationship. They are often a result of chronic physical illness or punishment for independent behavior in childhood. So in their childhood, they maybe had a chronic illness or they were punished when they tried to behave independently. It may leave them vulnerable to exploitation because of their passivity and submissiveness. And nurses can help them identify and address stressors, but we must be aware that strong countertransference may develop because remember, they're looking for somebody to become dependent upon and their demand because of their demands for extra time and crisis states. Sorry, countertransference means the nurse is the one that does um, the transference, and this may develop because of their demands for extra time and crisis states, which may cause the nurse to pull away. But they can also develop transference because they're looking for someone to take care of them. Role modeling and teaching of assertiveness skills can help. And we do treat them through CBT therapy, which helps them to develop more healthy and accurate thinking. Then we may treat them with antidepressants and anxiety agents and panic attacks can be helped by the tricyclic antidepressant Tofranil. <clears throat> so, all right, dependent. You know, we don't see that often in the psychiatric unit because they don't tend to come in when crisis, so. Okay, OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder personality, obsessive compulsive personality disorder, sorry. They tend to be overly preoccupied with schedules, rules, or details like you might expect. They often work too much, often to the exclusion of other activities. They set extremely strict and high standards for themselves that are often impossible to meet. They may be unable to throw things away like we might expect, even when they're broken or have little value. There's that hoarding part, right? They may have a hard time delegating tasks to others because nobody's going to do it as well as they are, are they? They may neglect relationships because of work or projects, and they may be inflexible about moral, ethics, or values. They may lack flexible flexibility, generosity, and affection, and be tightly controlling of money or budgets. Nurses should guard against power struggles as the need for control is great, and they have a difficulty dealing with unexpected changes. So you may have to assist them to identify an effective coping and develop improved coping skills. Treatment can be very long and complicated because they may also need help for anxiety and depression. And group and individual therapy can both be helpful. Anaphronil may be used to reduce the obsession and anxiety and depression. And Prozac may also be effective. Let's see. I think that's all of them. Yay! Okay, so I'm going to end the PowerPoint. Now, there may be a few other things I'm going to go over in class because I'll probably go over the domains in class that this affects. And, you know, all these, it's really impossible to go with nursing diagnoses that are specific to all of these different personality disorders. So I would encourage you strongly to look in your book because it may help you to, to do that. I will briefly touch on milieu management because in all of these instances, there may be increased risk for suicide with several of these. And creating a safe space where all patients can integrate together is very important. And you can see how this could be problematic with some of these. The milieu can function as a sanctuary for patients acting as a container for aggressive and self-destructive behaviors, which over time lead to substantial clinical improvements. Specific interventions to manage the milieu may include removing dangerous objects like we already do, setting limits on behavior, always, 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 so that, it, you know, and being present in the environment, that's something we really need to do as nurses is being present and listening and spending time with our patients and modeling a positive perspective and positive interactions. 
All right. Thank you for listening.